Hello, welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, and human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now, here's your host, two-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kosowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show. I am super excited. I have a dear friend of mine who is in Florida joining us. She's a number one international best-selling author. Karen Rowe is the owner of Front Row Seat, a full-service writing firm. She is an expert in nonfiction and can help you position yourself as a leading expert in your niche. Karen develops professionally written and designed books, do it for you. Her clients include actor, a retired FBI agent, a reality TV star, entrepreneurs with online empires, and some of the top self-help leaders in the industry. Her mission is to help you find your voice, uncover your unique, powerful story, to create an instant connection with you in the marketplace. You can find Karen at KarenRowe.com, and I will have these posted as well for you um, so that you can't miss a beat in following this lady. You have to have to follow her. <laughs> and uh, I'm super proud and excited to brag about her because she actually was behind helping develop Let's Be Curious. And she has an awesome book behind the cover. And uh, I want her to jump in and tell us a little bit about what you, because this was your written book. Start off by telling us a little about, about that. Sure. Uh, well, I have been in business for, it'll be 10 years in April. And this book, my most recent one behind the cover, is the first book that I've published that was related specifically to what I do for my clients. So I had published books with a publisher and then I'd published, you know, co-authored books with clients and things like that. But I, it felt to me like I wasn't practicing what I preached. And so it was important to me to have a book that really reflected what I do for my clients and what I offer in my business by sharing that specialized knowledge with people um, so they could go and do it for themselves. Awesome. Awesome. And how I know, and I, I didn't even ask you for permission, <laughs> but I'm going to go there and you can steer it if you need to uh, steer away. I know that you, uh, in a previous life, mm -hmm. teaching, right. took a big leap in moving right. from Canada to the U.S. I would love for you to share um, with our audience what it was like for you to really see a, see a vision for yourself and be scared because I know we, we've had those conversations over some chai lattes. Mm -hmm. um, what it was like for you and how does a person get into a place of trusting that everything's going to fall into place? Well, that's a, those are some big questions. <laughs> um, so what I have now is the benefit of hindsight. So looking back, what I can say is that what I didn't realize when I was in the thick of it in my life is that I had a really good life in Calgary is where I, I was from. 
uh, when, where I was living. And I was very comfortable, but I would say that I wasn't happy. I was running my writing business, but it wasn't viable and sustainable for me at that time. So I was doing a lot of side gigs. I was still substitute teaching. I was doing a lot of other things that were diluting my focus in order to pay the bills, uh, which kept stalling me from building and growing my business. So taking the leap, first of all, I didn't realize how stuck in a rut I was in Calgary. So taking the leap had me realize, oh man, I'm really enjoying this change and I didn't even know it. And the only way I could have known it was by taking the leap. So that's the first thing. The second thing is because I moved to a different country, um, I'm only legally entitled to do what I do, to write books and edit and run a writing business. So that really forced me to make a go of it and look at what didn't work in my systems and processes that, you know, there was a reason I wasn't having a sustainable and viable business in Calgary. And it wasn't just because my focus was diluted and I was working all these side gigs. You know, there was other things in terms of my sales process of me having to learn how to set boundaries, how to have money conversations with my clients, how to lead my clients before they were ever even my clients. So these were all things that I had to learn and have breakthroughs in in order to be able to be successful as a business owner and have this be my living full time. So, you know, I can tell you that that all worked out really well. And the other thing is that I realized I used to make, you know, this is less personal and more business, but I used to make other people responsible for my finances. So now all of a sudden I'm 3000 miles away from home and it's up to me, right? Like if I'm not able to pay my bills, like I'm getting on a plane and moving back to Canada because I couldn't even really teach here. I couldn't get a job as a barista in a Starbucks. Like it really, really made things real. And it also forced me to do things that I was uncomfortable doing, such as picking up the phone, having that sales call that maybe I didn't want to, you know, asking for the sale. And the thing is, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't eat, right? I wouldn't keep the lights on. So I really, I needed that extra pressure to kind of make the diamond. Um, so that's from, um, you know, a, a, the perspective of having done it and being on the other side. When I was in it, um, yes, you're right. I was absolutely terrified. I was really, really hoping that someone would talk me out of it. Um, I was kind of looking for any excuse not to take the plunge. I was, you know, justifying and reasoning with myself, but my life is good here. And that's true. My life in Calgary was good, but I was really looking for extraordinary. I was looking to take it up to a different level. And so what, what I could propelling you to keep going. Mm, even you had what, conversations. Yeah. I mean, I really had to trust um, that it was meant to be. Um, and I also, you know, I had a lot of conversations with a lot of people around me, my friends, my family, colleagues, um, you know, because I was actually looking for people to talk me out of it. But finally, someone said, listen, go and you'll find out if you don't like it. And if you don't like it, you can move back. So then I realized like, oh, I'm treating it as if this is some kind of life sentence and really just go and find out. And the other thing that kind of kept me going was if I you know, I'll never have to wonder if I was meant to move to Tampa, right? Like if I move to Tampa, even if I don't like it and end up moving back, I will have explored that avenue or that road and know for sure other than, you know, being haunted for the rest of my life of, am I going to move to Tampa? 
And so, you know, I really did just have to trust that this was where, what I was being guided to do and what was in my best interests. And, you know, that if it wasn't, I, I could choose something different. <laughs> so. so in hindsight, do you feel that, you know, you always had this burning that this is something you needed to do? Like oh, no. I mean, it wasn't I at all. It was very much a surprise to me that this had come up even. Um, and I didn't really want to move to the United States or to Tampa. Now, today, you know, it's like 26 degrees so it, in February. So it feels really <laughs> good. <laughs> right. <laughs> so now it feels like a good choice. But it really wasn't about the weather for me, right? It was about those other things that really forced me to grow up, basically. Um, so no, it hadn't been a burning desire, but what it had been was this kind of niggling um, dissatisfaction with my life of, I used to hear this, like, is this all there is? And mm -hmm. since I've moved to Tampa, I don't hear that anymore. Like, it's the first time I intentionally changed the course of action of my life, rather than letting things happen to me and being a leaf in the wind. I chose this and really just did a huge pivot. So that was, is what I would say, you know, to the listeners is that if you feel like things are happening to you and you're not maybe empowered or in charge of either your life or your business, you can choose something different and you can choose to create that. And in my case, really all the kind of stars aligned to have me be here. Everything really worked out for me really quickly from, you know, once I actually chose it, Things like I was able to move out of my apartment and my friend let me come and stay with her for two months rent free and I, all, I got to sell and all my stuff or get rid of it really quickly and easily. Like it just really was almost effortless. Um, and the other thing I would say is the hardest part was kind of getting on the plane. You know, once I was on the plane, the decision was made, right? So it was kind of like out of my hands. So what I would say is, you know, the whole feel the fear and do it anyway is, I mean, is a cliche for a reason because I was terrified and I still took the action. So that's what I'd say is if you're hesitant or afraid, uh, you know, even if it's with book writing, you just have to show up and take the actions. You do not have to figure out how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. You just have to do your part, which is take the actions, which is what I did. I booked plane tickets. I, you know, moved out of my apartment and things like that. And, you know, I'm not going to deny that in that uh, adjustment period of getting on my feet, like I had a lot of, of sleepless nights. I had a lot an empty fridge a lot of times. But, you know, doing that in the short term ultimately has led to years and years of not only contentment, but financial stability as well. Yeah. And I know that a number of my friends um, have started doing some of the publishing with you as well. So that's fantastic because I've been, they've been messaging me saying, Deb, I have a book for you. <laughs> so it's awesome. And um, I would love to just dive in. Does every business need a book? Like, I look at some of my friends who are speakers or coaches and psychologists and I'm like, you need to talk to Karen. Yeah. You have a message. You have a core message that people need to know in the world. Yes. So do you believe every business needs a book? I do, but you know, take that with a grain of salt that I'm biased. Of course that, of that course. is what I, <laughs> I say a caveat of if your business is still in startup mode, 
I don't believe that you need a book yet. Um, and that's simply because I don't think, um, you know, probably you don't have the resources, not just time, but money to invest in getting a book done. But also in my experience, startup companies or someone just very, you know, in the beginning stages may not have enough case studies or proof of concept yet to write a book. Um, and that depends on the person, you know, so kind of what I say is even if you're a startup mode, if you happen to be a serial entrepreneur or have been running businesses for more than five years, for the most part, that particular type of author gets it right. They get the value of a book as a marketing tool and they often have the expertise or the team to, you know, be able to leverage it and, and productize it as is necessary. Um, but you know, I don't, it, it's, stressful uh it's very vulnerable work writing a book and it's time consuming and often in startup mode you need to be spending that time getting your cash flow in place get you know building your client base like that's where you need to be first and foremost but once you're past that stage and you've got some cash flow and revenue um, and you've got like you said deb this passion and message to share that's not really reaching as many people as it could be then yes you know that's the time at which you could leverage your business um, to or leverage your book to help you grow your business yeah yeah I know some people will say oh you know that book it's just gonna be a big money maker and truly the book is more the glorified business card mm -hmm. um, but it's something that people can take home and get to know you as they read the pages yeah, so I love to say that a book is like your ambassador, right? So it can go many places that you can't go with your clients, like including on vacation, in the bathtub. So it gets to be your advocate and speak for you when you're not even there and when you're sleeping, right? And the whole idea of, you know, my book, I still use it, you know, every day uh, to help me uh, with clients and to help them understand me and create relationships with them. And I wrote that two years ago and I still get revenue from it two years later. So in terms of leveraging your time, doing something once and having that pay dividends for you, um, you know, a book can do that. That being said, uh, there's really no money in books for the most part. You know, I hate to kind of burst your bubble, but those days are over in terms of the days where you would get huge cash advances and get flown around uh, on book, book tours and things like that. Um, where the money is now is really in the back end. So how you leverage it to bring yourself new clients, build and grow your list, get speaking engagements, et cetera. Um, that's how you do it, right? So for me, for example, I really only need one VIP book the beach client to have gotten a return on my investment. And I'm sure we'll get to this later, but that's one of the questions you want to ask yourself when you're in, you know, considering if you want to write a book is how are you going to leverage it to get your return on your investment, right? Because if you can't get a return on your investment, then you know, do something else that will get you a return on your investment. Mm -hmm. So, and how many clients would you need, would this book need to bring you to be able to get the return on your investment? Those are a few good questions to ask yourself. So tell me when people are looking, cause I have traditionally published and I have now the self-published book, but from your perspective, should people be looking for the traditional publish or is self-publishing a lot more of the norm that you see today? Well, I do of course see more self-publishing, but that's cause I'm a self-publisher. 
So what I say is, you know, if you have the opportunity to work with a publisher, go for it, but don't spend your time trying to pursue a publisher because it will be the same amount of time, effort, energy, money to just publish it yourself. So, you know, one of the things that publishers are looking at, you know, when they want to determine whether to publish your book is one, is it a great book? And two, do they believe that you can sell enough copies to make money, including like the level to which you can help them put the book on the bestseller list? And my personal opinion is if you're doing that for the publishers already and you already have a large platform and a large following, why not just do that for yourself? Um, the other thing a lot of people may not realize is that if you publish with a publisher, you're looking at anywhere from a minimum 12 to 24 months before that book gets onto the market. Mm -hmm. And often um, you don't have that kind of time. Your topic or subject area might already be obsolete and on the way out in two years. So sometimes I have clients that have hot topics you need to publish now. Otherwise, you're going to be behind the curve and that topic is no longer going to be relevant. So, you know, that's what I would say is, you know, the speed to market, will that make a difference for you? Um, and if so, then self-publish, um, you know, and spend your time and resources to market the book and get the clients for yourself rather than supporting the publisher to do it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I know you have a very unique approach and yes. I'm jealous because in my process of writing, I wrote the book and I said, hey, can you guys edit and clean this up? Help me with the cover and all that. Sure. Which I know you do as well. But I tell yeah. you, it's so tempting when I hear people going to the book on the beach program. So right. tell us a little bit about your process. Sure. Well, so really what I realized is that, you know, the biggest kind of problem with writing a book is typically people have one of three problems that they're dealing with. First, they're not sure if the content they have is any good. Second, the, the passion they have for their subject matter just isn't translating onto the page for whatever reason. So although they may be able to talk and talk about their book, you know, and their idea and their subject matter, when they sit down to write, there's some kind of disconnect, right? So they're not sure where to start, what to include, uh, they get overwhelmed, and so they just get stuck. Um, but really what I discovered is kind of the biggest problem of most of my clients is that they're just too busy or successful to find the focus time required to sit down and write on a regular basis. So I created, once I realized that that was really the biggest issue, um, I created kind of like a time hack, which was called this book at the beach. And that's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It's me and the client in a hotel room um, at the beach for three days. I am interviewing them. And so, you know, the second problem of them you know, getting overwhelmed with what to write isn't an issue because I decide that for them, right? So I'm listening to them. I'm recording everything they say. I'm listening for what is really unique to this individual. Uh, what have I not heard and read a million times? Um, and, you know, as you know, Deborah, the other kind of issue with writing a book is that it's not a revenue generating activity. So you either have to take time away from your billable hours or you have to take time away from your evenings and weekends with your families, most of which, you know, we don't want to do either of those. But most people can find three days 
come to Florida, especially this time of year, it's very tempting, right? <laughs> you know, and, um, and, and just get that done. And then the whole idea is that I get everything I need from the client in those three days so that then they can go back to their busy lives and their families. And then we begin the real work and the heavy lifting of, okay, let's now put this into something that's going to make sense to other people. Um, you know, we do the editing and we project manage it through all the phases, including cover design layout. We upload the title, which is publishing and put the book in your hand. So that's been, as you can imagine, very popular. And the other thing I say is, you know, if, if you are not wanting to sacrifice your family time, I always invite my clients to bring their families with them. The idea being that we can still work on their book and then at meal times they can go, you know, kiss their kids at the pool or have dinner with their wives or spouses in the evening and not have to sacrifice their family time. Now I will say I haven't yet had one person take me up on that offer. Most of them are like, no, 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 no. It'll be a distraction. If I bring my kids, I'm not going to want to work or whatever, you know? So, um, but that is, you know, that's not, that's an opportunity to be able to kind of have it all and do it all, um, you know, without too much sacrifice on your time. So is it an intuition or how is it that you can find that uniqueness and pull that out of their story? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, at this phase, it is an intuition, but it's an intuition based on 10 years of doing it, right? And based on probably 300 books written and published. So, um, but yes, there is a certain kind of creative element to it where, and I have a structure, you know, we still do an outline I still do an in-depth uh, analysis of like, who are we writing to? Who's your ideal reader? Um, and, and then I do have a blueprint that I follow. And, and, you know, in just oversimplified terms, it's that your reader is going to have a problem that they are suffering from that causes them to pick up the book and buy the book and read the book. And you're going to outline that problem. And then you're going to talk about why you're the best person to solve that problem. And typically it's because you've already overcome that same issue. Um, and then you solve the problem, right? And so you really give them all the information and the whole subtext of the book is like, holy crap, I need to hire Deborah. I need to hire Karen because there's no way I could do this on my own. And one of the really interesting things about now, about this day and age is that, you know, I get some clients that get really nervous about like, this is my best stuff. This is everything I know. Like someone could take all of this information and do it for themselves. And that is true, <laughs> but only about 2% of people are probably actually going to read your book and only 2% of those people are actually going to implement it. And anyways, they aren't your client, but do it yourselfers are not your client. And it's no longer the information age, right? So the information age is gone. It's now the collaboration age. So now what we're offering as services as business owners is the opportunity to work with me and collaborate with me. You can have all my information, but in order to hire me, you know, and have time with me, that's what you're hiring me for. Right? And yeah, to do exactly. the work. Yeah. So, exactly. and, and I always give Tesla as an example, right? Like Tesla just gave up all their blueprints for their cars and everything like that. GM in the eighties would never have done that, but you know, he's, he's not, it's collaboration economy for him. It's not about information. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. Even if people copy, like I was listening to an interview with Tony Robbins the other day 
And he said, you know, in the beginning, there was a guy who ripped off his stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and he was at first, he's like, you know, I don't like this feeling. But the point was that he actually used the stuff. Yeah. There's a thing of ripping it off and not doing any with it. And he said, you know, I actually think he helped a few people's lives. Yeah. So I actually, when I think about it, it's okay. Yeah. But they'll never be able to present it in your way of, because the, your style, who you are, how you get in deep with people, um, people can't do replicate that part of it. Right. right? Yeah, yeah, and I just, I, I don't really believe in competition either. That's just my personal view. Not that I don't have competitors, but just that they have their unique, you know, USP and their special sauce and I have my own. And I'm in a number of business groups where there are other ghostwriters and things like that. And, you know, I never, we have kind of a gentleman's agreement that we both, you know, we don't talk down about one another we just talk about well this is the way I do it and this is the way this person does it so you choose which of our processes are going to be the best for you because ultimately I want clients that love working with me and love my process and believe in it you know and and I don't want them to be coming to me I don't know resentful or anything like that right so like if if my competitor is a better choice for you then they're a better choice for me too right you know um yeah, because ultimately what's best for you is what's best for me. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. And because there's so like 7 billion people in the world, we can't serve right. everyone, but it's best exactly. to find the right fit Yeah. Um, than it is to just have someone. It's just like when people are getting clients initially, they want to work with everyone. And uh, I've learned, and you've probably learned as well, we don't want to work with everyone. We want to oh, work yeah, with no. only the right fit. And those That's people right. really appreciate how we do things. Exactly. So as you know, I am a curiosity girl. Yes. <laughs> so how do you disseminate? Because you have a team that works for you now, not just yes. yourself. Right. How do you disseminate after you've done all this interviewing? How do you get people to understand what it is that you see as the vision after working with individuals? So when you do your book on a beach, mm -hmm. you got the three days, and then you mm -hmm. have your team to help you with the other parts mm -hmm. of it. How do you communicate that to everybody else? Well, first of all, the first thing I do is what I call creating who the client is for me with everyone on the team. So oh. I do introductions where it's like, okay, here, you know, Deborah, meet Amelia. And I will basically sing your praises and love you up. Here's what I love about Deborah. Here's what attracted me to working with her, either personality-wise or subject-wise. Here's how I can see we help her. Often there's, you know, a personal relationship like, oh, I met Deborah at an event in Calgary and she lives in Calgary and, you know, all this sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I create that and I had actually one of my editors say, man, I love how you do introductions because then you know, they get all caught up and enrolled and like, man, I love Deborah. She's great. And so if they have that context of being really excited and jazzed about the content and the subject matter and the person, then they're going to bring their best. So that's the first thing I do. Um, the second thing I do is I would say I trust my team members to bring their unique approach to it. So like my editors I tell them what our goal is, but then I let them come to me with like, Hey, here's what I think would be the greatest structure. Yeah. And then I'll talk to the client and say, what do you think about this? And they'll say yes or no, but I don't try and control my team members and say, Hey, I want you to edit the book this way because I've hired them for their expertise. Mm -hmm. I don't want to micromanage them. So I let them 
bring to me what they feel is best. And in general, I'm like that with professionals. Like if I go to my hairdresser, I will let them give me the haircut that they think is going to be best, which is way more than me trying to tell them how to do their job. Right. So that's what I, what I do. And then, you know, I'm hiring people that, I mean, I've now had editors with me for probably three or four years. Um, that I just, you know, we know our styles, we love working together, um, you know, and I adapt to their working style. So first thing is I pay them whatever they ask me to pay them per hour, right, you know, or per project. So whatever payment terms work for them. Secondly, whatever work terms work for them. So for example, one of my editors likes to take the transcripts and insert them herself into the working draft, whereas other ones prefer that we insert them and put them where we think they go and then they edit those. So just little things like that that to make easy, kind of just be like a low maintenance date, right? (laughs) You know, Um, and then also having that flexibility with the clients, right? Like some need a little more handholding, some need firmer deadlines, some, you know, just need, to be left alone until it gets done. Some need flexibility in dates. Like, so it's really just not being too rigid. My commitment is to get the book published. So kind of like by any means necessary within reason is, is what's important to me, right? Like I just want everyone to enjoy the process as much as possible because it's already a painful process. <laughs> so, you know, I have to tell you, it, it's very yeah. streamlined process because oh, I did not you. feel any gaps at all. It was so smooth and I was just like blown completely away. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So anybody thinking of writing your book, because the next question is, <laughs> How do you know if there's a book in you? Oh yeah. Like when I first got into, somebody said, well, how did you know you're going to be an author? I didn't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was co-authored with our colleague, uh, Charmaine Hammond. And it was for coffee that we started talking about a book. But, uh, and then the other ones kind of evolved, but I would love to Mm -hmm. hear your experience. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I personally believe that everyone has a story to tell. Um, and it's again, not being too attached to what that story is. Uh, so I have people come to me at all phases of the book process, Deborah, like sometimes they come to me like you did with your first draft done and they need editing and publishing. And you've are, you had also already published with a publisher. So you were clear you wanted to self publish. So in that case, it's like, okay, she's clear what she wants. We just need to deliver those terms. In other cases, I have clients that come to me sometimes with an idea, but not fully fleshed out. So we can do a strategy session. Uh, We also have a viability scorecard. Sometimes I have clients that come to me with multiple ideas, three or four or six, and they don't know where to start. We can also help them through that. And I've even had clients come to me with no idea. Like they had a business coach or, you know, a mastermind group tell them you need to write a book for your business. And then I'll have a conversation with them. Um, because you know, if, first of all, the kind of the want and the will has to be there. Um, and then it's a same thing, just asking, you know, you know, about curiosity, asking questions to find out where their interest is. Like, what are you passionate about? If they're business owners, like what had you start your business, you know, and usually, you know, what's your, your story of origin? Like, tell me, you know, what's your story? So they'll tell me what that is. And usually something starts to emerge from that. Like, and that is a little instinctual where it's like a little light bulb or a little snap of the fingers where it's like, Oh, what's that? 
you know, and then you back up, well, tell me more about you said X, you know, and it might be something about their childhood. It might be something that they didn't really even put much weight on, but is maybe just a little, you know, Julia Cameron calls it the vein of gold, right? So you're looking for that little thread that could bring it all together. So. And something that they think is insignificant can have a huge impact when you realize it's something that's not talked about that really will make your story stand out. Yeah. And for the most part, I think that people don't always know. I mean, I have the benefit of hearing people's stories every day for 10 years. I never get sick of it. But some people have really innate talent that is just second nature for them. You know, it's like the air we breathe or the, you know, a fish in water and it's saying what water is so normal for you that it's not something that you would think would be teachable or that other people would be interested in. So it's just offering that sounding board of, oh no, that could be something. But then it's, you know, it's similar. You just kind of have to trust the process that we're going to find something. And I've never not found something. Um, yeah. So a specific unique moment that stands out for you that is one of those ones where you're like, Oh my gosh, this is such a teachable moment. <laughs> oh gosh, all the time. Um, but I, I, the one book I'm thinking of is I, I published a book last year with a client um, and she had had a very interesting life and she had multiple different stories that were seemingly unrelated. So she was the youngest woman to die for the Titanic. Um, and she ran, she runs a consulting service, you know, a, a successful consulting business. She'd also had a very interesting childhood with a, you know, a very prominent father who is an alcoholic. And so she, and she'd had some great insight and learning from her upbringing and relationship with her father. Then she dove the Titanic, you know, like, so she had, and so she came to me and said, like, I've wanted to write a book for years. She was clear. I don't want to write a whole book about the Titanic. Someone's already done that book and they've done it way better than I ever could. So, but it's still part of my narrative, right? So how do we include it? And you know what I said? I don't know yet, right? I, I can't possibly know from the beginning. We just have to wade in. And we did. And one of the other things that came up is that, um, you know, one of the things she really believes in firmly is in mentorship and mentoring the women kind of coming up behind us. And we eventually thread it all together into a book called Jumping the Queue, Achieving Great Things Before You're Ready. So she kind of realized like, you know, look at the traits of millennials and some millennials are criticized for this in terms of like, they don't wait around for opportunities to come their way. Like they'll see a CEO on LinkedIn and pick up the phone and see, oh, I see you had an opening and I'm perfect person for this job. And if something isn't working for them, they'll move on to the next thing. So that's very different from my generation. And so, you know, this author realized like I've been a millennial before it was a thing. Like I've been jumping the queue my whole life. And then she was also like the, the youngest uh, museum director, I think. So just like really just interesting stories. And she's like, I don't know how these are all going to fit together. And, you know, through doing the work and having the conversations, we found a way that is still now something that she can easily and readily use to build and grow her consulting business. So she was really, and we, I was really proud of the work we did because that wasn't, that took some work, like it wasn't obvious yeah. right away. Um, and we really, and the first draft, I think she was like, this isn't it, this isn't right. And I was like, okay, let's go in again, you know? So, um, so that's one that's just comes top of mind to me. 
Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And it's one of those books, like just when I think of jumping in the queue, it's going to be one of those books that people can pick up again two years later, use it at pull something yeah. that they can walk away with. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we talk about writing books and sometimes people are like, oh, you know, I want to write it myself. And then they say, well, no, I think I need ghostwriting because I just feel like I don't have what it takes to write or mm -hmm. I'm too busy. But mm -hmm. then they, they're like, am I cheating by doing that? That's a good question. I mean, it's a pretty common one I receive. Um, and what I'll say, first of all, is a lot of people don't realize that about 40% of the books on the market are ghostwritten. And it, you know, if you're not familiar with what a ghostwriter is, it simply is that someone else is doing the writing and editing and putting your name on it. So I kind of affectionately refer to this as all of the glory, none of the work. But um, a true ghostwriter is, is someone that you know you would basically have kind of a meeting with them and say here's my idea for the book and here's any kind of research or or my post-it notes or you know whatever content i have and you hand it over to them and they disappear and they go and work in the writer's cave and they come back to you perhaps you know and not that you don't have uh, you know, you'll have milestones and dates and stuff and they'll come back to you with a few chapters maybe in a couple months and say, here you go. And you would say yay or nay. And then they go away and basically they write the book without your involvement. That's a true ghostwriter. I am more of a collaborative author in terms of it's still your content and your insight and your message. I'm just making it sound good on paper. So, um, you know, that's really what I see is that I'm a vehicle or a channel to you know put your words on paper because you know the <laughs> your message is not going to make a difference for people if it's stuck in your head and not on a piece of paper and in a book you know and of course there's other mediums like podcasts and things like that but you know that's really what i see as my job is just a vehicle to help you get your message out so that is what i don't you know and yeah yeah, so I don't think it's cheating. I just think it's a smart way of leveraging your time so it's freed up to go and work on your unique genius, right? So. Yeah, it's all about return on investment, right? Right, yeah. So how does one go about hiring editors and ghostwriters? Like, where do you find them? Like, if people didn't know about you. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a, now with the internet, it's, it's easier than it ever was. I mean, the ironic thing, of course, about ghostwriters and editors is that historically we're quite introverted, right? So we do just want to kind of be stuck, you know, in our little caves uh, doing our work and not have to work with people. But um, yeah, you can absolutely uh, look online. There are all kinds of organizations that support writers like the National Writers Union, um, you know, and depending on whether you're, what country you're in, you would want to look at, at, you know, a nationally supported writers union. There's a lot of information on there in terms of what, what typical rates are, what to charge, um, you know, how to hire them. Also, in my book, I, I have a whole chapter on it, what questions to ask, how do you hire an editor, what can you expect to pay, uh, what are the different kinds of editing? Because of course, you know, depending on the level of editing required, there's really light editing and grammars and typo. And then there's substantive editing where we're getting into the structure of the book and things like that. So there's a real overview on, um, you know, how to hire the professionals and, and how to work with them and, and what to expect. So that would be my advice is to, 
really, and also set yourself a budget and, and get information on kind of what the rates are in the market um, so that you have a fair idea, first of all, if that's something you're willing to pay. Sometimes people realize like, oh, actually, I would rather just write it myself and save myself the money, you know? Um, but, and I would definitely recommend interviewing more than one, uh, you know, especially if you're hiring an editor, maybe talk to two or three. And I have a number of questions that you would want to, you know, go over in terms of setting some communication and update expectations, like how, you know, what's my level of involvement versus what can I expect from you? How often can I expect to hear from you? Um, you know, things like that, right? Um, and then understanding that everyone does have different payment terms. So with editors, sometimes they charge by the word, sometimes it's by the page, sometimes it's by the hour, sometimes it's by the project, and none of those, all of those choices are valid. You know, and so I just recommend that you ask them, why do you charge that way? And they'll typically have a reason why. Um, and I have never really run into anyone that didn't charge fairly, uh, especially in, you know, in the editing world. It's just a lot more work than people realize. And it's a lot, it's slow progress often, right? So, um, but it's also where all the heavy lifting gets done. It's kind of where the rubber hits the road. Um, and so it should be kind of the most expensive aspect of your project. So. Thank you. You're welcome. Karen, I know for myself, and you, I've sent you pictures that when I started writing this, this last book with you, um, I had mind mapping all over my basement walls. Um, <laughs> I seconded myself to the university library. So while my daughter was going to university, I'd just go with her during her study time. And oh, that's fun. I didn't know anybody. <laughs> I couldn't get distracted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. For hours at a time. And uh, what are some strategies that you tell people when they're starting to write their book? And um, without losing that momentum, because I know I had to go on a regular basis. And sometimes I did need time away from writing. Mm -hmm. say, okay, I just need a break from looking at this because all the content seems to be looking the same. Yes. Well, my first thing I would say is know yourself. So know your work style and know if you create a structure that that's going to work for you. So my first two books, I did the same as you, Deborah. I sequestered myself in what I call like a sensory deprivation tank, which was I went to, uh, I was living in Calgary at the time. So I went out to the Badlands outside of Drumheller to like this deserted coal mining town and there was no internet and no cell phone reception. So I rented a little cabin literally in the woods and, you know, I, I worked out there because I had to uh, free myself from all of the distractions because I am really a master procrastinator, or I was at the time. And that was what I needed um, to be successful at. It was just complete and total isolation. Um, and the other thing is, is I really wasn't, I hated it, right? So that was also... Uh, sp spurring me forward to actually get it done because I'm like the sooner I get this done the sooner I can go back home and I only did it for me I think it was six or seven days the first time but then once you I created that base I went back home where I had the creature comforts and I just met like maintained the, the routine so that worked really well for me um, now I have much less struggle with it so I put in um, you know, headphones and I have these like binaural beats things that's around writing and inspiration and I time my my writing session so it's called the Pomodoro technique and what I found works for me is 
45 minute sessions of uninterrupted time. So that means I'm not self-interrupting to check my Facebook or my email. I've got my phone on um, airplane, you know, and I work no matter what during that 45 minutes. And, you know, and then I take a 15 minute break and then I do another 45 minutes. And if I can get between two and four sessions of those done a day, that's enough. Like, so don't overestimate how much pro how product, like how productive you can be because that's intense focus and like you're really using kind of high level brain power there. So I end up being kind of, you know, my brain is mush if, you know, if I, if I do too much of that. So, but if I can get three or four hours of real focus time completed, that is far more productive than seven or eight hours of me, you know, doing multitasking because we're actually terrible multitaskers. So, um, so that's, you know, but I know, you know, based on your situation, if you're, if you've got kids in the house, it might not be appropriate for you or doable for you to go sequester yourself for a week. So I always ask my clients who are doing it themselves, what will work? You know, is it, I've had clients that get up earlier in the morning, they're getting up at 4am so they can write for a couple hours before the kids wake up. If you're, but if you're not a morning person, don't do that. Like if you're a night owl, can you, you know, it's just looking at where can you create time in your schedule in a way that's actually going to work. Like if you're going to put it in your calendar and then hit snooze and not get up, that doesn't work. So switch gears and find something that, that does, you know? Um, and yeah, the momentum is the key thing because you know, if you're writing every day, even if it's only for seven minutes, it's, it's top of mind. So you're remembering what you wrote yesterday. If you take a two week break from it, then you're like, oh man, it's almost like you're starting from scratch. You're like, I don't remember what I wrote. So then you're reviewing what you wrote and then you get stuck in review mode where you're just editing kind of the same 10 or 50 pages and you're not actually getting the book done. So your responsibility when you're doing the first draft is a brain dump. You're just getting everything down on the page. You're not editing. You're not judging. Oh, this is terrible content. Like just ignore those passing thoughts and just get it done because all of that other stuff is actually editing. <laughs> so and you're not going back and rereading what you wrote. No, because that's just a kiss of death because it's going to be terrible. Right. So then you're going to be like, Oh God, that's terrible. Who am I to write a book? And then it's just this downward spiral. Right? <laughs> so yeah. So I love that, that you went to the library and you didn't know anyone and you know, you're not in a coffee shop running into people, you know, and <laughs> socializing and stuff like that. Right. So that, that really works for me is that kind of, you know, deep isolation. Uh, but I only did that for my first two books. After I, I established the routine, I'm able to create that isolation in my office now. Um, you know, and the other thing that really worked on the first two times is that non-negotiable external deadline. So I had a deadline with the publisher and it was fixed. I could not move it. So some of the ways that my clients have created this is by, uh, setting a book launch date, <laughs> renting the venue, putting dollars down. Um, and I had another client who had a sponsor, one of her clients sponsored her book launch. So all of a sudden someone else is putting dollars down. That was really effective. Yes. Um, and then another client who uh, hosted events had his book um, and sold books instead of tickets to his events. So I think you had to buy three books for a ticket. And if you wanted VIP, it was five books or something like that. 
and he had a very aggressive deadline, but we met it because there was just no room for negotiation on it. Right. So, you know, that works really, really well. It's one of the best things I know of is that non, non-negotiable external deadline, because you can tell everyone, you know, and you can set that deadline with yourself and your family members and even your staff or, you know, colleagues, but unless there's, you know, a real hard end date, um, you know, and that hard end date means like, oh, and you really want to go to bed or you really want to have a glass of wine, except that you have to get this writing done. So it means that you're making choices that will ultimately support you getting that deadline met. So those are very, some really good strategies, especially that isolation piece, because I know there's times I'm like, just to have the world stop for a moment, right? Right. So that yeah. you can really focus in. And I know 45 minutes is my Pomodoro time. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's many online timers that will ring off that 45 minutes. I initially started with 20. Mm-hmm. And I was yep. just right in the thick of things. I'm like, this does not work for me. I can't take a break now. I can't, right. I'm not going to allow myself to. Right. Um, but 45 was my ideal time as well. Yeah. And one of my other great tips about that is not so much necessarily in the first one, uh, in the first 45 minute session, but often when I'm in the second or third one, I get to a point where you're naturally ready to stop, except I've still got 15 minutes on the clock. Here is what separates the men from the boys here is that you don't stop because you still have 15 minutes. So you find something else to write about or, you know, and keep going. And the great thing about that is that when the 15 minutes is up, then you stop, right? So there's, you know, Hemingway had that um, well-known quote about when you're going good, stop going. (laughs) So some people then they get on a roll. They're like, man, I was on a roll. And they're writing 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 and then they got nothing left to say and they stand up and walk away and then they have nothing else to say. So there's nothing pulling them back to the page. Right. So that's why you time yourself. So then you get to the end of that 15 minutes, and you're like, oh, I wasn't done. So first of all, if you have other writing, you know, sessions, you can take your break and then you're excited to come back. But if you're done for the day, then you're thinking about that. It's like your brain's on the hook to come back the next day. And then you sit down, and you're like, oh man, I'm going to finish this. And that's how you build momentum is to not, you know, stop when you feel like stopping, you're, you're living by the timer, and to stop when you feel like writing, <laughs> which is really counterintuitive. And I still have to really, you know, set that boundary with myself, because it's tempting, but it, it works, because that's how you build the momentum. Well, I have two final questions for you, Karen. Okay. Is what is the one book that has influenced you? Oh, uh, it, there's been a couple, but I, I will probably say the one that's influenced me the most. There's a book I wrote with a client um, called Breeding Gazelles. And he, um, one of the things he says in the book is that your business is only as strong as your weakest link. And that haunted me. Uh, for a long time. And what I realized for me is that my weakest link was in my bookkeeping, accounting and numbers and things like that. I really had an ostrich kind of take to it that I didn't want to know. But reading that book, I realized that like my business was never going to thrive and grow as long as I wasn't dealing with those things I didn't want to deal with. So um, 
that was advanced, uh, Breeding Gazelle Advanced Growth Strategies for Your Business, and the client is Dan Bradbury. Um, so what I'm very fortunate about is that I always get to write books that I probably need to read the most. So they always seem to kind of find me. And there was a time there where I was doing just finance book after finance book. And finally, after my fifth one, I'm like, oh, this is for me. Okay, I got it. I got it. Like, I got the message. So I actually started implementing some of the things that my clients uh, were writing about in their books. And, and, yeah. you know, when you start implementing what you're reading about, that's when it makes a real difference. So, yeah. so my I'd next say. question for you is you're busy writing all these books. Do uh -huh. you actually kick back and read any? Uh, that's funny that you should ask because I definitely read less once I started doing it for a living. Um, and so this year, my New Year's resolution was to read more for pleasure. Um, so I'm taking that on this year and I'm aiming for a book a month, which is, I'm a little embarrassed to admit because that doesn't seem like much at all. I know some people that read a book a week, but I am, you know, so that's, that's what I'm taking on this year. So. And would that be fiction or nonfiction? Well, because I write nonfiction, I, um, I've been reading fiction for pleasure more frequently um but yeah it, it would include nonfiction as well but for now it's fiction yeah I know for myself yeah. I limit myself to the fiction books at certain times of the year like vacation time because mm -hmm. otherwise I get sucked right in <laughs> I can't put it down yeah well and um you know I mean I, I tend not to read nonfiction because it just feels like an extension of my work right so rather than having it be a way for me to relax and unwind. It just feels like, oh, I just did this all day. So, you know, for me to read this before bed. Um, but that could also just be an excuse, right? It, it, so that's why I, I take on fiction, just because I've almost completely let that slide since I started doing this full time. So, well, Karen, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day um, for this interview. And uh, you've shared so many gleaning thoughts of, you know, I hope it ignites someone's passion out there that they yeah. know that they have this book in them because everyone yeah. does have a story. Do you have any final words of wisdom you'd love to share with our audience? And also, how can they stay in touch with you? Oh, sure. Uh, well, you can stay in touch with me. I'm pretty much all over the internet. So feel free to email me at karen at karenrow.com, K-A-R-E-N-R-O-W-E.com. I love to hear people's book stories. So feel free to reach out and I'd be happy to talk to you about it. I'm also on Instagram at K-S-R-O-W-E. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Um, I also have a website, karenrow.com and a website called bookwritingmaster.com. So you can find me easily, I feel like. Uh, so that's where you can find me. My word of advice, I guess, is that if you have been thinking that you have a book in you, to just start answering that call, to listen, and you will be guided for whatever your next action is. And the last thing I'll say is like, you're writing your book doesn't have to look like how you think it will. Right. If you think it's going to be hard, take on maybe what if it was easy? What was the like most pleasurable experience I ever had? And even that shift in context could clear some space for you to take the next action towards that goal. One of the greatest things that I've learned about the book process is a book is always ready 
when it's ready. Yes. You can't force a book to be that's ready true. before it's time. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Karen, very much for coming on the show and for everyone listening in on the Millionaire Woman Show, where we talk about leadership, business, and human potential to help you live rich from the inside out. We'd love for you to go over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this from, or even in YouTube. Give us a five-star high five, write us a review, but we'd also love to hear about how this podcast has impacted you. Has it influenced you to jump in and start writing that book? Has it made you shift from thinking about traditional publishing to actually self-publishing? We want to know because this is what inspires this podcast is you. So thank you for joining us. Also, as Muhammad Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And my wish for you is always to go out and have a great day.